You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Basketball Matters. I guess we'll call this podcast 13 and a half. We'll be back tomorrow with an actual in-draft analysis with the sport doctor himself, Gregory Urshadis. But for today, I am with Christian Wolfgang Graf in the Twin Dragon podcast. Guys, we're going to give you a little bit of pre-draft analysis. The pre-draft The pre-draft. Uh, a definitive top 10 list, as well as discussing a couple major moves that happened in the NBA yesterday. To start off right at the top, Graf, and... Big trade uh, between the L.A. Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn Nets without any first-round pick, really, with the Boston Celtics trade a couple years ago with the Kevin Garnett-Paul Pierce fiasco. So they didn't really have any prospects in the organization. You, you, you know, like... Um, you know, there's a few guys, I guess, on the team who are blue-chip guys like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Karis LeVert. But realistically, they never had someone to kind of build around. And then they made a splashy move yesterday offloading uh, Brooke Lopez, $22 million per year, plus a late first rounder to the L.A. Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and, I guess, retaining Timothy Mozgov's horrendous contract. Uh, what do you think about the trade? Who do you think won this uh, won this trade, Graffin? It's hard to say because I, I want to say that Brooklyn obviously won this trade, mm-hmm. but it's so hard because Mozgov's contract is that bad. Right. Like I think his contract was so terrible that – Literally, they had to ship the number what number two pick it was for them uh, two years ago. One last one pile year. of shit left behind by the Cupcheck era of signing what Luol Deng and. Uh, well, as good as I think, <laughs> Mozgov, D'Angelo really Russell is. Um, I don't think he was a good fit in L.A. Uh, I do think. Well, obviously, Ball is going to be drafted now. I think mm-hmm. we all know that. And spoiler alert for the mock draft. But um, for me, no, I think it's going to be, it's going to be the Lakers who win just because they're clearing all their cap space and they're getting ready for next year's free agency. So I think you're going to see trades like this, even if they have to give away people like D'Angelo Russell. At least they're getting a proven backup in, in ball. So not proven, I guess, but they're getting up someone in ball who's young and who can sort of carry this team. Also, D'Angelo Russell looked terrible in L.A. when he was there. Uh, a see, lot of bad shots. Yeah, he looked like Kobe the year that co- after yeah, the year Kobe left. When we talk about D'Angelo Russell's two years during Lakers, they were a very tumultuous two years. His first year in was a Kobe Bryant retirement tour where basically Kobe was jacking up like 30 shots per game and D'Angelo's getting next to no touches and having the ability as a rookie to facilitate the offense. Second year, a co- clearly, clearly, clearly they were shooting for the bottom seed, trying to get a great draft yeah. this year. You, you can't judge a guy at 21. And, and I think it's a horrendous trade for the Lakers. I, I think there's certain aspects of the trade I like for the Lakers, you know, such as you know having a trade ship, an expiring contract in Brooke Lopez at $22 million a year, you know, being able to offload him for a superstar, a guy like Paul George, LeBron James, what have you. But it's also taking a risk in the sense that you actually think you can bring in LeBron James and Paul George. You know, realistically, they might be able to get him. LA Lakers, massive scene, you know, like a really good area, I guess, for basketball. A lot of free agents want to play there. 
I just I think it's a massive gamble letting a go a guy go like D'Angelo Russell, a guy picked second overall who still, in my opinion, has a really high ceiling, who could be a number one two option on a team, maybe not a playoff contender. But the Brooklyn Nets get a fantastic player they can sort of build around. And for the Lakers, like it, it's a shitty because he's 21. He's been on the team for two years. He's the guy that you picked over Kristaps Porzingis. I just think it's a horrendous trade for the Lakers. It, I think it's taking a massive gamble and thinking that we are 100% getting Paul George and LeBron James. I think it's a stupid trade. I think they should have kept the contract. But it's the beauty of the Brooklyn Nets in the situation they're in. They, they're playing for nothing, basically. They can retain these stupid contracts. Like, we might see another trade of them getting, like, a walking Noah from New York or Ian Mahimi from Washington and getting other assets and picks involved. Like, the like Portland Trailblazers, for example, have three first-round picks. They have massive contracts and guys like Alan Crabb and Evan Turner. Brooklyn Nets can take a gamble, retain these massive contracts. They're not going to be contending for any time soon whatsoever. Yeah, thanks for their stupid trade with Boston. Exactly, exactly. That's the beauty of the situation they're in because they can do whatever the fuck they want. They see, can retain the biggest, dumbest contracts but also get secondary assets that's involved in the trade. See, and I agree with you for, for most of what you say, except for the fact, the only sort of, I think, argument you could make otherwise is that the Lakers team is so prestigious that they have to have that ability. The, the magic is running the team. Mm-hmm. Again, the ability to attract free agents in the Lakers is very, very realistic. Right. Not to mention Paul George has already mentioned he wants to play there. I think the likelihood of them being good, obviously not next year, but the year after that is fairly high. And you give Lonzo Ball next year to sort of you know, run the team, get used to the NBA, give them a lot of minutes. And I just think long term, the trade is good for the team because of the fact that two years from now, not next year, two years from now, it's going to be good, even if they had to give up D'Angelo Russell for that. Right. I just I just can't justify trading the second overall pick two years ago to draft a guy second overall in Lonzo Ball. Like, listen, Lonzo Ball may develop into an absolutely fantastic basketball player, one of the greatest prospect playmakers, passers coming out of the uh, college in a very long time. I just don't see Lonzo Ball being that much better than D'Angelo Russell, especially when it comes to long-term potential. I think D'Angelo Russell is a fantastic basketball player, a combo guard, similar with maybe like a James Harden light, maybe a better version of Eric Gordon. But he's a great basketball player. Like, he's a 1-2-3 option on a superstar organization. I think D'Angelo Russell is going to evolve into a great player, and he's never been given an opportunity, like I was mentioning before, to play in the Lakers and really, you know, be the face of the organization. I, I he's guess, never put in that position whatsoever. I guess my point is, I, I think you're looking at the trade itself very very like I guess sort of too granular mm-hmm. as the actual the players themselves think about it this way I guess who do you think is going to be better two years from now as a team three years from now as a team four years from now as a team to me it's the Lakers every single time I don't see the how the Nets are going to wheel and deal their way out of this for the next four or five years D'Angelo is going to kind of be trapped so even if he is a good player he's not mm-hmm. really going to progress anywhere like you said they're kind of trapped where they are at least for me the Lakers have a plan here like it's they're 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 not I mean for now like you said the Nets are not going to be very good and the best chance they have is retaining other players contracts right, right. the Lakers at least have a plan in place for me that if you look 3 years down the road I see the Lakers as being probably a playoff maybe even a cont- who knows a playoff team though whereas the Nets for me aren't a playoff team for the next 3 to 5 see I don't see the Brooklyn Nets saying no to a trade that involves like I know it's a salary cap dump but I don't see them saying no to a trade you know replacing Clarkson with Russell for example and having the same sort of deal Mozgov maybe not the first round pick in return but I just don't see a point of trading D'Angelo Russell this way. Like it's it's an, such an incredible move by the Brooklyn Nets that they're able to grab 
have a guy pick second overall a couple of years ago, a team that has next to no prospects coming up with the aforementioned guys that I mentioned before. I just think it's a fantastic trade. I think D'Angelo Russell's the kind of guy that you can kind of build around. You're not building a contender anytime soon, but he's a start off. He's I a mean, starting point trust me, guy. Jordan Clarkson's name's been out there. It's been right. floated. I'm sure that's what they were trying to offer at first. Brooklyn, at le- like Brooklyn did probably say we're not giving up everything. Mm-hmm. We're getting... A- we're getting at least D'Angelo Russell for this. Right. So I try, I'm sure the Lakers try to ship. I mean, it says right now they're trying to ship Clarkson. They're trying to ship well, they're tr- pretty I, much I, everyone to get From ball. what I've been hearing, they're trying to package their lates, their two late firsts, to move back up to the top ten or something close to the top ten. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if the Lakers can get rid of Dang's contract somehow, which, again, is not that – they have enough young assets that even if they see, don't trade it, then that team, like I said already, their contracts are shed beyond 2017, beyond 2018. Like, what was Mitt Kutchev thinking? Like, realistically, did they think they have any pot – like, do you think they're even making the playoffs with that, that team? Like, I just don't understand why they would throw that ridiculous amount of money at two mid-level free Asians and Timothy Moskov and Luol Deng. I think it's – for me, it's the length of the contracts that bugs me the most. Like, maybe give them a lot of money for two years, three years, but – they gave them four, five-year, six-year deals, and it's they were awful, they awful. They had all this salary cap room. That was the beauty of the L.A. Lakers last season, going in the offseason. They had all this beautiful space. They could do whatever the fuck they want moving forward, and they were handicapped because they signed these ridiculous— Like, I just—it's so—it's insane. It, that might be the worst contract of all time, considering mm-hmm. what they had to trade to get out of the contract itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at it this way. The Lakers have almost been saving money these last couple of years because even last year— their salary cap was under 100 million. Mm-hmm. So next year it's 83, but like you said that's that includes Mozgov's contract. So you take away that it's already, you know, around 70. Mm-hmm. So below that. So if if the Lakers can they they can afford if any team can afford to go way above a luxury tax and just load up and all in out of nowhere and get really good in one off season, I think the Lakers are certainly the team to do that. So I just think again like as always there's always that potential that they can do it, and now I think now that they're clearing cap space, it's even more likely. Um, but it's obvious that they think Ball is going to be the player of their future. Right, and even like, you know, like Lopez isn't a scrub by any stretch of the imagination. That guy is a fantastic center schematically yep. in certain situations, right? You know, Lonzo Ball's playmaking skills and Brooke Lopez's creativity in the low post mm-hmm. is kind of a dynamic duo. The, forward, right? To me, Lopez. getting, and that, Brooke Lopez is one of the key assets in this trade for me, because why I think the Lakers probably won it. Because they're going to look to ship him to a team who's a playoff contender at the deadline. Well, it's an expiring and contract at twenty-two million. Exactly, they're right? going to get draft picks. They're going to get a, they're going to get young players. They're going to get draft picks at the deadline if he plays somewhat well, which he probably will mm-hmm. because of the minutes he's going to get. And again, it's it's an easy rent to player for a team that's going to contend next year. See, I just don't think he can coexist with Julian Randall. Like they're both sort of like slow plotting bigs who you know primarily do most of their work in the low post. Keep in mind, Julius Randall has a decent outside shot. And Lopez has mentioned in the offseason that he's going to be working on his three-point shot. And he had a decent percentage this season. He did. I just don't really see both guys kind of gelling together. I think Lopez is a stopgap. He's a chip, like we were mentioning before, in a bigger trade. You know, whether it be getting Paul George in the yep. trade deadline next year, what have you. So moving forward, another massive trade yesterday. Dwight Howard is the newest member of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they flipped Plumlee. Was it Mason or Miles? I can't remember. I get those two fuckers mixed up. So one of the Plumlee brothers the same person. was traded, and uh, as well as Marco Bellinelli and a mid-level second-round pick. Uh, what are your thoughts on this trade, Graffin? What direction is Atlanta going? Is a clear indication that Paul Millsap is no longer going to be an Atlanta Hawk? Uh, yes. I think that Atlanta is I think it's pretty well known now that they're going to dump as much as they can and go mm-hmm. f- 
through a full rebuild. Which is insane because they were a 60-win team a couple years ago. And last season, clearly they were not winning the championship. They were barely in the playoffs. They had Paul Millsap's expiring contract. What did they do? They did next to nothing. They could have flipped Millsap for 50 cents on the dollar but still retain at least a couple late draft picks or maybe some sort of fringe prospect. But right now, the situation they're in, they're going to lose Paul Millsap for next to nothing. They got nothing, nothing in this trade for Dwight Howard. They got one of the worst contracts in the NBA in the the Plumlee brother. He's, uh, what, four years, $50 million or something like that? Yeah, he's he's making a ton. Same with Kent Bazemore. It and, doesn't make any and, sense. And for the Schroeder, like, and they I, have a whole I, bunch of $15 million guys in the I don't team. get it. He's Dwight Howard has two years well, left in his contract. Three. Plumlee has, what, four or five years on his contract, over $10 million per year. That's a that's a shittier contract, in my opinion, than Dwight Howard's contract, which makes me think that Dwight Howard, his presence in the locker room, his leadership ability, just being an overall maybe goof or dickhead, is the main reason why the Atlanta Hawks felt the need to flip him over the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, I think that, well, I think that, again, they, they got not much back, so I think they just need to get rid of them, like mm-hmm. you said. And again, they're shedding cap space. They just want to, I think, get younger. Um, I can see them making some moves in this draft, for instance, to try to get a lot of draft picks or, or see if they can get maybe a team like Portland, who has three draft picks in the first round, to sort of shed one. So, right, right. again, I could see that happening, and it, it just seems to me that it's pretty obvious that Atlanta is going to break their roster down. Mm-hmm. Um, what See, to me, I have a, it's sort of a question, but how does Millsap's contract work? Is it going to be a sign-in trade? No. No, I... I, I because his, his contract expires. He's a free agent as of July 1st. Right. No, I think Paul Millsap's probably looking within the area of maybe a three-year, $90 million contract from a contender. Um, I can see like a team like the... Like even the Houston Rockets throwing some money at him, potentially. I don't know. Like San Antonio Spurs, like what logistically is Houston mentioned that they're going to go after? Yeah, Houston did mention them that they're going to go. But they mentioned a whole slew of players that they're going to go yeah, after. Yeah, I think today. Houston's been talking. That's what I don't get. Like you look at the uh, the landscape of the league right now, and you talk about teams like Houston and you know even the LA Clippers and these like I guess contenders. I say that loosely. But look at a team like what the Milwaukee Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, the teams with great great cores. Like, like like Giannis realistically is the most valuable player in the NBA right now. Like who would you value higher than Giannis Antetokounmpo? If you take one guy, building contender, moving forward, it's fucking Giannis, 100%. You got Jabari Parker. Chris Him or Kawhi, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm just talking about, like, if you're a free agent, where do you want to play? Paul Millsop on the Milwaukee Bucks would be a fantastic, fantastic addition to add to that team. He's a low-post playmaker to go with the length they have as well. I don't know. I don't think it makes any goddamn sense. I don't know why the Charlotte Hornets would want to take Dwight Howard's contract and Neither take Dwight Howard's I. personality as well. See, to me, that that's the part of the trade that makes zero sense. Um, they said today that they think he can come back and play at an all-star level. Well, he was mentioning that he's going to be working on his outside, outside shot uh, in the offseason, but... This is fucking Dwight Howard. This is like, what, 30, 31-year-old Dwight Howard. Like, I don't think he's going to be evolving that much. And he's one of the slowest players in the league. He's just, he's limited. He's limited offensively. He's limited defensively. And I don't see a point why he should be taking minutes over a guy like Cody Zeller, who's been developing into a fantastic stretch five. Uh, well, the team, again, when, when Michael Kidd-Gilchrist comes back, they're going to, they're with Kemba Walker there, they have a young team. So for see, me, I don't like that kid. I don't like Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I know he had a high pedigree coming out of college, playing for Kentucky, number two overall pick. The guy's been in the league long enough to know what he's good at, what he's not good at, and he's never going to be a good shooter. You can't have a guy playing the three or even four position who can't shoot outside 15 feet. He's not physically imposing. He's on a low post player. He's a great defensive player, but it's the same mold of a guy like Andre Robertson. Yeah, he's like he a, may be great grinding the perimeter, but realistically, what her you know. How can he fit on like a winning, contending organization? I mean, I think that his his role on a team that would be a contending team would be like that of Draymond Green. 
I mean, he's kind of he's, he's not, a great he's not, defender. I know he's a poor man. He's a poor man. Of course, he's, a he's very very poor man. He's not as good. And again, that to me, that's makes this trade even more puzzling. I guess is why would Dwight Howard want to like what, where does he fit in there? I, I don't sense. really Charlotte, get it. Like looked pretty decent a couple of years ago. on the up saying Jamie Lim coming off the bench in the playoffs. Um, but now, like, they're a decrepit shithole. Like, realistically, Kemba Walker is their only sort of legitimate player on that organization. They don't really have anybody else. There's no secondary options. They got, like, what? I think Boston offered five draft picks to move up to take Frank Kaminsky, and they rejected that trade. And what the fuck has Frank Kaminsky done in the last few years? Nothing. They have all, they, I mean, before that trade, I think they just had every single white center in the league Yeah, like, team. Zach Collins, <laughs> there's your future home right yeah. there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Any potential trade scenarios you see going down before the uh, the draft tomorrow? I mean, you know, we got guys like Paul George, um, you know, Jimmy Butler. Um, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? There's going to be a lot of noise tomorrow, a lot of trades, or business as usual, just straight up draft. Um, so I do think, again, it kind of goes into the mock draft of of kind of what I think is going to happen here. But yeah, I do think something's going to happen tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. during the during the deadline. Um, Jimmy Butler mentioned today that he uh, he's fine staying with Chicago, which I find I think is complete bullshit. To be honest with you, see to me that just means Cleveland's whole head office with David with Griffin being fired and and the let's, rumors let's go to being that for out. A second, actually. Because I have a feeling that the pl- to me I read a report that players are essentially telling Butler, well before they were telling Butler to come, and then all of a sudden he got fired. Now they're telling him not to come because the whole entire organization is a catastrophe. You see LeBron so, James' cryptic Twitter message yesterday, right? I did not. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he more or less sort of um, stated his appreciation for Griffin. And I saw that. The team and just it, it was kind of you know like a like a backhanded stab at Gilbert and the organization and, and, and like it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. The guy took the team to the championship three years in a row, yep. won a championship in the second season, and just. They're, they're going to let him go? Like, I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't think Chauncey Billups, no matter how great he is as an executive, no matter how a great Well, he's going to come in as a is, bad guy as well. I just don't understand why you would want to lose a guy like Griffin. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. That's poor leadership from Gilbert. Isn't, uh, isn't the Raptors GM title technically vacant right now? We'll see what happens. That guy's going to get a job. 100%. I'm just 100%. wondering, just do you the, think that the Raptors should maybe try to get someone like that? Um... I don't know. We'll be in, uh, do you think he would be able to coexist with Mizai Ujiri? Like, do you think their philosophy of having to build and rug an organization kind of uh, intertwines with those sort of ideas? Well, I think he's very good at um, taking a lot of side, like different people's opinions, mm-hmm. and taking like sort of the neutral, the everyone, most people agree with this approach. Because from, look at he was in Cleveland with LeBron James, who everybody says is the mini GM there, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he had to take the opinion of Dan Gilbert, of LeBron James, of his coaches, everybody, and he tried to make everybody happy. And I think he did a great job, honestly. Right. If you look at the, the the way they were put together, I mean, I know we were talking about how they're old. And I think that was almost to appease LeBron. Mm-hmm. He wanted a lot of those old players. Even at the end of the season, he said, I really felt bad because Deron Williams and those guys, the older players, didn't get a chance to win it. But I don't know. I It's different for me. No, no, for sure. Um, it's crazy to think Orlando could have had an opportunity to sign him, and you know, obviously they shit the bed with that. I, I think he, I, th- I think he's going to be making a lot of money next year, and he definitely will have a job when he decides that he wants to work again. I just, I think it's complete bullshit that Cleveland let him go. Um, yeah. So, but just going back to the trades, I guess. Um, 
for me, I do see a trade, and I guess this is a spoiler for my for my mock draft, mm-hmm. but uh, we're doing that anyways next. But yeah, no, I see Boston. Or sorry, yeah, I see Boston going for him, even though he's a Jimmy. No, for for Paul George. Paul George. Yeah, and I his value has gone down ever since the Lakers, or ever since he made that Lakers comment, and. When he made that Lakers comment, it really, I think, hurt the What's Pacers organization. Does, is he going to be playing for the LA Lakers, his hometown team? Either way, the fact that that's out and that most media reports that it is true mm-hmm. puts his value on the trade market down for the Pacers. But you'd be willing to trade a third overall pick to retain Paul George potentially for a single season if you're the Boston Celtics and Danny Age? I would, and even though that's, I guess, uh, a first pick, I don't think even a third round pick would do it alone think about what they've asked them they really want brown right they really want it so i think a good any any trade for boston at this point where they can retain brown but still get paul george Mm -hmm. and potentially pick up blake griffin or gordon hayward in the offseason then they're gonna be they're gonna be great next year so for me i think the number three pick um would be traded from boston to indiana um and also probably crowd crowder and smart Probably as well, because they're gonna again. They're asking for uh, they're asking for quite a bit before that comment for Paul George. They were asking for a ton. And one of the best contracts in the league, Jay Crowder, what three years, twenty four million dollars. And no matter what they do in this draft, mm-hmm. either they trade to get Paul George, Jimmy Butler, or they do draft like a mm-hmm. like a Jackson or a Jason Tatum at three. J- Jay Crowder's tenure on the Boston Celtics is kind of more or less coming to it, and his yeah. value on the rotation. And see, what you said there exactly is what a lot of people are saying, is it's either George or Butler, it doesn't really matter. To me, George is miles ahead of yeah, Butler. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. Uh, think- to, to me, if you, that's why I'm trying, like, to me, this number three pick plus Crowder plus Smart is probably going to be what it takes. Yeah. There's other teams that are really going to pursue Paul George. I mean, the Cavs are going to give up think- love and stuff like that. But again, they want to get younger. It makes the most sense for a team like Boston. They're, they're, they still have a number, what, they have two number one picks next year, or they can change that for the year after even with Sacramento and the Lakers mm-hmm. pick. So for me, um, yeah, the Indiana Pacers would select Josh Jackson at number three. So yeah, Just to go in this quickly, I know we uh – you know, there was a big trade last week as well between the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston Celtics. The 76ers moving up to number one. Um, Boston getting the third pick. Uh, first round or top four protected next year from the L.A. Lakers. If that falls in the top four, the 2019 unprotected Sacramento Kings draft pick. What, what is your thoughts behind that trade? That trade, Because personally for me, the, the Boston Celtics, realistically, they could sign Paul George. They could bring Jimmy Butler. They can sign Blake Griffin. They can sign Gordon Hayward. They're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. They'll be contending with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but realistically, they're not going to be a championship contender. The Golden State Warriors are that good. They're going to retain Kevin Durant. They're going to retain Steph Curry. They're still going to have Klay Thompson. They're still going to have Draymond Green. I don't see a point of letting, like, like Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz might be transcendent once-in-a-generation type of talents. Isaiah Thomas is a fantastic basketball player. But why not trade Isaiah Thomas of one year on the cheap to a fringe contending organization, retain assets, retain draft picks, draft Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball in the long run? Like they're and because and like a drop off at three realistically after ball and falls when it comes to like long term mass potential. I just don't. I, I think it's insane to think that Boston Celtics chose a 31 year old five foot eight point guard with one year left of his contract with bad hip over a potential franchise defining point guard in Alonzo Ball, Marco Fultz. Yeah, and I think that if there was more, if he had a longer contract, because we know he's he's going to ask for the max mm-hmm. uh, as soon as he's done. Um, I think for Boston they just have so many picks and. I mean, I guess I I agree with you. For for me, Fultz would be a great. I'm not a big the biggest fan of Isaiah Thomas. I don't think he's he's that great of a player. And then again, defensively, he's 
He's a fun he's, player he's pretty, to watch, but he can bad. only take you so far. But at the same time, I think that if they were, I mean, think of the matchups. If they were to, let's say, get Paul George and get Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. I mean, then you have two players that can defend uh, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. Uh, Curry could be guarded by Thomas. I mean, if you match them up, it could, again, look at how the Spurs did it. The Spurs were winning by 20 because they had matched up with them really well, and Kawhi could really contain mm-hmm. Durant. So if you can find someone like Paul George or Gordon Hayward, whoever's playing better, to contain Durant, and you can still contain Clay, I mean, I don't know. I, I know Golden State looks invincible, but don't forget about last year when they lost to, to Cleveland. Yeah, I know Draymond Green got suspended in Game 5. Playoffs, he got suspended in Game 5, but he came back. He was playing still after that. So, I mean, they're beatable. I, I like, think I can, they are beatable. I can see why Boston would want to make the trade because if they're going they're to going retain for it Isaiah now. Thomas, they're going to get a guy like Markel Fultz who realistically is going to get like 20 minutes per game. Um, and you know, a number one overall pick, you got to give him his touches. you got to give him his playing time. you got to let him facilitate the offense to some degree. And if they do draft Baller Fultz, you know, it might be a Darko Millicent type of situation when they can pick a guy number two and just toss him on the bench and his development and growth is just stunted because he's not getting playing time. Yeah. He's not seeing the court at all. And to me, I think that they could have they have a chance, like I was saying before, to still get Paul George with the number three pick as opposed to having the number one pick. Mm-hmm. I think they'd be almost a little bit more hesitant. And then they have to keep kind of smart and Crowder, and then they have almost salary issues. So and then they can't pick up free agents as much. So this is almost, for me, was a long-term sort of play for them to go for it now as opposed to for the next couple of years. They have a good roster, and again, Boston's just like the Lakers. Free agents like to go there. Right. All right. Let's bring up our uh, top 10. The NBA draft is being held tomorrow at 7 p.m. Uh, we've done a few mock drafts throughout the podcast. Uh, Graft and I are the NBA draft aficionados for the uh, Toronto Sports Matter podcast channel. So let's start it off, Graft. And who do you got at number 10? So I I was going to say I I mixed up my, my draft order a little bit because of the trade and all the stuff that's mm-hmm. happened. Yep. But my number 10 pick with Sacramento remains the same. I have Dennis Smith Jr., um, at number 10, for all the same reasons I've mentioned before, I think, again, uh, Sacramento's going to try, probably, to package a trade and, and maybe trade up if they can. But I just don't think they're going to find anyone to trade with in the end. Yeah, like, so, I wouldn't trade anything less than the second pick for 5 and 10. Ex- exactly. And I I'd, I'd honestly, and we know we know the Lakers are, are getting ball. So, for me, I think they're going to try to package trades. But in the end of the day, they're, they're going to have two picks in the top 10, mm-hmm. um, the 10th pick and the 5th pick. And... Um, for me, it's Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, he's going to fall this far, I think. Uh, and again, he's a player with so much upside. They have the they have the ability to risk right now. So that's who I have. See, I don't have I don't have Dennis Smith Jr. in my top ten. I think in this draft, like there's it's so um, there's there's so many big men with sort of similar skill sets in this draft as well. I just see a couple guards slipping in the top ten. I think Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be that guy who's going to slip out of the top ten. I got them taking Luke Kennard at ten. I think the Sacramento Kings have been trying to find that lockdown shooter for years. You know, they drafted um, you know, McCollum a few years ago in 2013. You know, they took Nick Stock Nick Stoskis top ten. I just think having a guy like Luke Kennard and who the guy I'm gonna eventually talk about later at fifth overall just makes sense to me. You know, having a guy like Buddy Heel, Luke Kennard, and I'm gonna say Jerron Fox at five, that's who I'm gonna have at number five for Sacramento Kings. Just it's it's a great offense. You can space the floor well. I think they all three of them kind of coexist on the same floor and same scheme. Um, and I think when you come to like a, a readily made product, like a for sure thing, I think Luke Kennard's as good as it gets when it comes to a shooter. I just don't think he has that much of a, of a 
ceiling. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely and Sacramento right, but... needs that right now. Like they're not going to need players. They don't need people to fit into the roster right now and slot them in so they can win the championship. Right, right. But I, I, I got like I mentioned before, I got Deron Fox number five going to Sacramento Kings. I can't justify them taking Frank or Dennis Smith Jr. at the ten position when you already have drafted a point guard in Deron Fox, the featured face of your organization. I can't see them taking a big man. Well, who's their backcourt? Who's their backcourt right now? Though? I don't think there's a four that in the draft at this position that they should be drafting at number ten. Um, I think they still need to see what they can get out of, like, Papa Giannis they drafted in the top ten last year, Will Cauley-Stein, guys like that that have been pretty uh, pretty big on as well. I just think Luke Kennard is the best fit for that team. And also, I think Vivek and Vladdy Divac are the most dysfunctional front-of-office types in the league, and it wouldn't surprise me for Stick them to, to the stock market. Drafts to some, like, Luke Kennard just makes sense for me, personally. He plays on a big program like Duke. He's a flashy player. He's a three-point shooter. He just sounds like a Sacramento Kings draft pick. I don't know, like Macklemore, Collison, Aaron Afalo. These are the guards they have right now. Mm-hmm. Nothing is really outstanding to me there. Right. Um, so for me, I have no problem drafting two guards. So I guess I'm defending my decision to, and it's going to be justified later because oh, I all I, yeah I also have a, a guard in my fifth pick as well. So, but I guess um, ninth pick I have so for Dallas. Mm-hmm. To me, this is. Almost again. So this whole point for me, this mock draft, I'm gonna try to nail this mock draft, and hopefully tomorrow everything will happen exactly. Let's make, Even let's though make a little bit of a bet right now. Let's say who has more correct draft picks tomorrow when the actual draft goes down. Um, beer or something? I don't know. Yeah, sure. There um, we go. Some beer. So Frank Nikitna. Frank. Yeah. So um, they really like him. Even Mark Cuban's seen him play. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been out there. I, I, to me, he kind of fits in. They Dallas needs. A back anyone in the backcourt, not Yogi Ferrell. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that would be the pick. Um, they just like him so much. I've heard so many reports right now that that's who they're really eyeing. Uh, it's kind of like, and this is another spoiler, I guess. It's kind of like New York with Laurie Markkanen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like that way every year for international players. That there's one team that just loves a specific guy, and whether it be the Raptors, a lot of the time. But at the same time, for me, there could be someone that is either loved by a team and gets picked early, or can just fall really, well, really, really far factor. in the draft. I think the European factor makes the player substantially more sexier as a draft pick. Like Luke Kennard, if Luke Kennard was a European prospect, he would be in discussion for a top ten, top five pick. In my opinion, at least. This mis- this guy playing in Europe with a silky smooth jump shot, you know, coming in for tryouts and just draining every single three-pointer. I think if Luke Kennard was a European basketball player, he would be a consensus top ten pick. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, so I guess for me, it can go either way with Dennis Smith Jr. as well. But I just, I think they're going to go with, with Frank. I was kind of torn in this draft pick. Um, Frank's not in my top ten. Um, he's another guard that I think might slip a bit. Two picks you think you're going to slip? Well, I think Dennis Webb Jr., first of all, he's very Steve Francis-y, and that definitely, you can't have that type of ISO player in the modern game. Um, and I think with Frank, his, like, he's going to be a fantastic basketball player, but I don't see how he's better than a guy like Donovan Mitchell, for example. They both have herky-jerky jump stock. I think Donovan Mitchell is actually a better prospect. I think he has a higher ceiling as a player. I think he's substantially more athletic. I think he brings more tangibles to the table as a point guard, shooting guard, combo guard position. I think Frank's excitement is what I mentioned before, is that being that sort of sexy European guard. Um, I got Zach Collins going number nine at Dallas Mavericks. I just think it makes sense to grab a guy who can play the forward position, five position. Play. I think Zach Collins can coexist with Nerlens Noel. Um, I think Nerlens Noel is going to be a big piece of that organization moving forward. I think they're going to offer him to close to a max contract the offseason and just having a guy who can kind of replicate like a Dirk Nowitzki light type of player you can play um, you know 
on the perimeter, playing the low post, um, you know, and also can play 12, 15 minutes as Dirk's primary backup as well. And the guy who's been growing the organization just makes sense to me personally. Um, I know that he only got limited playing time at Gonzaga. It's only 18 minutes per game, and we're it's a huge gamble taking a guy like this. But I just think schematically, structurally, and I just think he this makes sense for the Dallas Mavericks to take a gamble and take a guy like Zach Collins. I think he has a massive upside. I just don't think he's gonna. I think he's gonna slip out of the ten. Uh, again, he's kind of like that that piece that a lot of teams are looking for right now. Stretch mm-hmm. four. Well, who, can play, who can play defense. You know Phoenix Suns worked him out today. I mean... Like like a day I, before the draft. I don't see him going that high. I can see him. I can see him going into the top ten, though. But for me, I guess, at this pick, I just they need guard help mm-hmm. so badly that uh, I don't think they can overlook either Dennis Smith Jr. or Frank, whoever, whoever may be there. And if there's both there, then I think they're going to take Frank. I just think there's so many, like just mediocre options at point guard position and free agency that can be kind of like a stopgap. And I don't think the Dallas Mavericks are thinking about contending anytime soon. Um, I think they're fine with like a long-term sort of rebuild. I know it's Mark Cuban. It sounds kind of insane to think (laughs) that they're going to be content with a long-term rebuild. But I just like Zach Collins on that team. I think he could develop into a competent basketball player. I don't see him being Dirk Nowitzki, but I don't see him being a scrub at all. I think he's a pretty high upside. I think he is the definition of what you want out of the modern big man, a guy who can switch off defensively in multiple positions, who can run the court well, and it's the outside shot. Um, Who do you got today, buddy? Um, So I have the Knicks taking Laurie Markkanen. I said it already, but uh, Phil Jackson seems to love this guy. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's the next Porzingis. Do you think Porzingis and Laurie Markkanen can coexist on the court defensively? See, I don't. Uh, well, Przingis is great as a as a center to to stop. Yeah, I'm talking about like physicality, being able to guard guys like DeAndre Jordan, you know, uh, Andre Drummond in the low post, even Clint Capella. Uh, I do actually, I do, I do think that they have the the sort of the again when you're stretching the floor offensively that much, you're making these players sort of really work. And mm-hmm. I don't know, even if DeAndre Jordan's coming down the floor, and, and I'll give DeAndre Jordan a, a post up against Przingis um, compared to Przingis on the other end of the floor shooting up three. So, I don't know, Laurie McKinnon for me, they could probably, they're going to trade, I think, Przingis. See, like, I, I was really, really hard on Mark Cannon before. Um, my biggest issue with him was that he can only play in certain situations. Like, I don't think you could play him um, in the fourth quarter. Um, I just think there's, he has so many defensive liabilities. I don't think he's strong enough to deal with a lot of the big guys in the, the low post. But like I was mentioning before, Zach Collins, you know, you need a guy like, like he is the definition of the, you know, development of the league. Like having a guy who's like, he's arguably the best shooter in this draft and he's seven foot one. You know, like you, you can't ignore that skill set. And you show me Dwayne some tape. Bacon. No, no, honestly, <laughs> no. You show me a couple, like some tape on him last week, and you know, and like I went back home, I did my due diligence, I watched his research, we watched that game against Ivan Rab as well. You know, a guy like Ivan Rab, who is as NBA ready as you can fucking be, regardless of how high his ceiling is. Like NBA, Ivan Rab is an NBA caliber rim protector, and Laurie McCann showed up to that game, and he put, he didn't maybe he didn't put up astonishing numbers, but you could see him developing as a low post player, putting on the muscle mm-hmm. and developing into a superstar. I, He's I, got I a like lot of potential. And I honestly just think it's the Knicks pick. So the Knicks, for me, are picking him no matter what. I got, like, this one was, this is one of my more difficult picks because I had, um, you know, like, obviously they're not going to bring back Derrick Rose. They don't have a point guard next year. So I had uh, Dennis Smith Jr. slot in here. If, if, if they took Dennis Smith Jr. at 8, I can see the guy I have at 8, Malik Monk, dropping in the top 10. He just makes sense to me as a New York Knicks basketball player. You know, very flashy shooter. Um, you know, a guy with a high-scoring upside, a guy who can play with Kristaps Porzingis as well, um, two guys who they can run the offense through. Um, it just seems like the best possible fit, the highest possible upside, and the best need of that team, which is scoring. I think Carmelo Anthony, Kristaps Porzingis, and Malik Monk are a fantastic 
trio, I guess. If they get a competent point guard, maybe they can draft a guy in the second round or trade up to the late first. Yeah. But I think that's a decent core, regardless of Carmelo Anthony's going to be a team or not. I think that is a fringe playoff contender with Malik Monk, Christophus Porzingis, and Carmelo Anthony. Get a decent point guard in the draft, a guy who can guard the pick and roll, and that's it. You're good. You're good to go. It's funny. I have I have Monk going seven to to Minnesota. See, we have that flipped. I got, so we have it flipped. Yeah, exactly. Han- I have Mark Cannon going to seven. I just think him and Carl Anthony Towns is just a ridiculous duo. See, I think Carl it's Anthony funny Towns because I think from a Cannon's deficiencies defensively. I think Carl Anthony Towns doesn't look like the greatest defender right now, but he's going to be a great defender at some point in his career, especially next year. I think he's going to only get better defensively. It's funny because to me, if the if the Timberwolves do pick Mark Cannon, then I do think the Knicks will pick Monk. Mm-hmm. So I do kind of agree with you in a way because he's he's a great player for me. He's He's moved up in my mock drafts. Right. His ceiling is very, very high, and he's only – he's a scorer. Do you see Dallas taking He's such Monk, a good scorer. Like, let's say Monk fell out of eight. Like, Do you see Dallas taking him over a point guard? Yeah, I do. With Wesley, Wesley Matthews on the team as well. Yeah, I do, definitely. Right. He's a younger version and much more moldable, it seems like. And, again, that consistency from long range mm-hmm. from Monk in a three-point day and age in the NBA, it's just – it's so – You'd love to have that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So I have, I guess I have Monk going to uh, to Minnesota, and I guess main, one of the main reasons. Do you, do you think Monk, like he's six because he fits three, in there. He's a combo guard. Deron Fox was still in the offense. Like Deron Fox is like that prototypical speedy slashing point guard. Um, do you think Malik Monk at six three could develop into a point guard for the New York Knicks? Do you think he has a skill set to develop into a sort of combo primary point guard position player? Not in the triangle. No, yeah. <laughs> no, not not not, not not in their system. I mean, he's a scorer. That's mm-hmm. what he does. He shoots from long distance. He's con- he's fairly consistent at it. And again, if he's one of those players that's going to be streaky, mm-hmm. you can tell. I, I don't know who to compare him to, but he's going to have nights where he's probably going to get twenty points. He's going to have nights where he's going to get five. I see him like as like a more efficient and well-rounded version of like a Lou Williams, for example, in his prime. I don't see Malik Monk being a twenty-five point per game scorer, but I see him within the eighteen, twenty-one, three and three sort of range. Which is not a bad basketball player at all. And a it's, guy you can play in crunch time minutes, who can play point guard in crunch time, even play three in crunch time in certain situations. And I guess for me that's why he fits into Minnesota really well. It's a team that, I mean, I, I don't know how. They're so loaded with talent, and they so, they seem to not do very well every year. But I guess it's coming down to the scoring. I mean, they, Carl Anthony Towns is a great defender. Uh, they have that there. They have Wiggins. They have Rubio. So you, you got Monk on Timberwolves there? Yeah, I have Monk on the, so uh, number seven. Don't you kind of feel like his skill set's sort of redundant with Zach Levine, though? Do you think that makes Zach Levine expendable if they do decide to draft Malik Monk? I do. And, well, first of all, Zach Levine's got a great co- contract mm-hmm. to trade. He's, I think, making two or three million a year. So he's he's a piece that people want. And also, he's shown his potential so high, is so high. But he's a, any dunker, basically, that comes off an injury to their knee like that, that season-ending... Anytime they come back, it's always you never know what you're going to get. He's almost. also a horrendous defensive player. Like, you could see the Minnesota Timberwolves' performance when he was on the court and how well they did when he was off the court. And they were a substantially better team in the second half of the season with Zach Levine out. You know, he's a flashy player, but he's a throwback to, like, you know, the mid 2000s of, like, a non playoff contender face of the organization type. I don't see, like, Brooklyn Nets, that'd be an interesting guy to grab, like, Zach Levine. Like, I don't know what they would have to give up to get him, but having a backcourt of D'Angelo Russell and Zach Levine is pretty enticing, in my opinion. Oh, that'd be great. I mean, I just don't think that's they don't have any options really, unless they trade draft. Well, picks. if they do draft Malik Monk, and like based on your projection, they do draft mm-hmm. him. I don't see any like what is the value of Zach Levine in the NBA? Like, is any team really thinking about giving like a like a, a lottery pick for him? 
No, I think like, I don't see him going... I don't see him going for, like, a top 20 pick, honestly. For me, you'd have to package... It wouldn't be a pick. For me, it would be a power forward. To slot in there. Yeah, exactly. Contract. Yeah, You'd have to sort of trade him and another shitty contract to mm-hmm. get someone who you can put right in your starting five, I think. I don't, I don't really think Gorgie Dang is... is He's more of a six for me on a, on a really good team mm-hmm. as opposed to a starting point power forward. So if they can get a good power forward for Levine maybe and and get shed some contract space just so that they can make sure they can s- sign all their rookie contract or their young players going forward, that's the best case scenario for them. You got going to the Orlando Magic. So I have Jonathan Isaac going to Orlando. He is... Probably the player with the most upside. I guess Josh Jackson as well, but he's like a every, Swiss Army knife. He just feels like I got him at going to Orlando as well. I just feel yeah. like he fits the scheme in Orlando. Like the best, like most interesting player comp I read this week was the Andre Karolenko comparison. I, I see a lot of that in Jonathan Isaac. I think Jonathan Isaac, and at, at some point of his career, will be able to play center. Um, he needs to obviously put a little bit of weight, but I do see him being like, uh, you know, that missing piece in Orlando's offense. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, he's got such length and versatility that this this is a guy that and Orlando's been searching for that big man seemingly for such a long time now. Like I don't know, like I I, I don't know how big you are on Aaron Gordon, but I don't see him being a piece of this team long term. I think we've seen the best out of Aaron Gordon. I think Jonathan Isaac is that sort of big shooter they've been looking for for so goddamn long. Yeah, and again, like I said, they've been looking for another ever since Dwight Howard left. Who, mm-hmm. who knows how long ago? That team's always been built around a really good center. And they've done such a poor job drafting. Like I, 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 they had three top five picks in a row. And like what, what those picks turned out to be: Victor Oladipo, Alfred, or no, not Alfred Pin, Victor Oladipo, Mario Herzonia, mm-hmm. and uh, who am I missing here? Aaron Gordon. That's I, nothing. That's nothing, man. They got to take a high upside pick and a guy like Jonathan Isaac. I agree, and I think Jeff Weltman will do that because he's now he's coming in there. He's going to listen to the coach. He's going to listen to basically what they need, and I think Orlando's going to go through a, almost a full rebuild almost. Um, and I can see them trying to maybe even shed some cap space and get some more picks in this draft. I can see Malik Monk going to Orlando as well because I like the thought of an Alfred Payton Malik Monk backcourt, but I think he'd be drafting him a little bit too high, and I think Isaac's upside. He, you got to take Jonathan Isaac at number six. All right, number five, Phoenix or uh, or the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. So their other pick, I have Fox. Got the same pick too. And Fox is one of my favorite players in the draft. I mm-hmm. think um, just because he's so good. He made Lonzo Ball look terrible when they faced each his other. His dad's comments the other day. No, it's fantastic. He basically told Levar Ball to shut the fuck up because his son dominated Lonzo on multiple occasions. Oh, Markel Fultz's parents are feeling the same way about Ball. They mm-hmm. they asked him if they're going to buy. The Triple B brand, and gee, uh, his, his mom wasn't having it. So, so Lonzo Ball's the, the ha- most hated person in this draft, not only from a fan perspective, yeah. but also every other player no, in this draft hates him. He's the most him. vilified prospects coming in the league in a very long time. I want to ask you a question, though. How do you think Deron Fox and Dennis Smith Jr. can coexist in the backcourt? In- well, for me, again, it's almost like you're pick- Dennis Smith Jr. is one of those players that is such a, like a high gear. Um, he, I don't think he's NBA ready yet or or maybe even vice versa with um, with Fox. I think Fox is ready to go. He's going to be great. He can be more of a shooting guard, mm-hmm. and Dennis Smith Jr. more of a point guard. But Dennis Smith, the way he plays, is like Russell Westbrook. Yeah, but neither of them so, can really shoot, though. Yeah, I mean, this team is going to be one that's going to be rebuilding, though, for such a long time. Right. And like I said earlier, they're, I don't like their guards. I think Darren Collison's probably that, their best guard right now. That's why I got Luke Kennard going number 10, because Deron Fox is a non-shooter. I know, like, I, I agree. Like, Luke Kennard at 10 is, like, 
you know, like, there's a lot sexier, better players on the board at that point. But, like, if you're going to take Duran Fox at five, you got to take Luke Kennard at ten. Or you got to take someone who has some sort of shooting at ten. And Frank and Dennis Smith Jr. do not have any shooting. For me, they can almost, if they really wanted to do that, they can trade down a little bit. Because yeah. I don't think Kennard is going to be drafted. Like, I don't think... If they don't draft him, he could probably go 15, well, that's a, that's a great maybe point, 16 actually, or 20. Because if the draft's going down, Maver- let's say they go by my mock draft, Mavericks take Zach Collins, and you got, like, what, Donovan Mitchell, Dennis Smith Jr., and Frank Nikina still on the board. There's definitely going to be that team out there who's going to trade up to get that 10 pick. Like, what teams out there are in need of a point guard like that? I mean, there's lots of teams in need of a point exactly, guard, isn't there? Exactly, man. Like, I... I, I I definitely see that happening. I don't know. Um, going back down, number four, Suns. I think the majority of the rest of the draft is pretty uh, self-explanatory. Maybe four. What do you got, buddy? Well, and I guess the only reason – so for me at four, it's Phoenix, and I have Jason Tatum. Wow. And wow. the wow. reason why I have Jason Tatum at number four and not number three is because of the trade I was mentioning earlier. So I think Boston is going to flip their threes. Their three. So that's my trade. Mm-hmm. Is Indiana is going to trade the number for the number three pick with Boston? They're also going to get Crowder and Smart, and then they're going to draft Josh Jackson. That makes sense. If they're losing Crowder and Smart, basically not two non-shooters, you are. You have sorry. You have four. So Boston's giving up Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, their and third their pick. pick for Paul George. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then um, with the pick, since Indiana has it now, Indiana's going to draft Josh Jackson, who is like Paul George but younger, mm-hmm. essentially. So I think they're trying; they're going to try to replace Paul George with a younger version, with a player who has the highest upside in this draft by far. Um, he has almost every single um, tool that they need. And again, that's a team where next year him and Miles Turner, they can just build. They can get minutes because um, that's what the best rookies have. It's all about opportunity for first-year players. So you got Jay Crowder. Um, Marcus Smart and the pick three, which will eventually probably be yep. Josh Jackson, going to the Indiana Pacers, playing with the core of Miles Turner, Thaddeus Young, Born Ready, Lance Stevenson. Yep. That's an interesting trade. Um, if I were the Indiana Pacers, I don't think I'd be looking at Marcus Smart. I think I'd rather have an Avery Bradley involved or some sort of shooter, especially if I'm retaining Jay Crowder as well. I mean, they I can always throw in another sense. pick as well. Right, I mean, they right, have right. so many picks, Boston does, that if they don't want Smart or they don't want the players, then they can just take another pick. Again, if they're going to rebuild and try to do that, it makes sense. Uh, I know that, again, they have picks next year. They can even trade for one of Boston's pick later on picks this mm-hmm. year as well. See, I got Josh Jackson going to four to Phoenix because at three, Jason Tatum is the most readily made player, I guess, in the draft. He's an immediate – like, he's he's a, the best player right now, in my opinion. Like, he's the kind of guy that if you throw sorry, in the NBA – Jackson or Tatum? Jason Tatum. If you throw oh, him in the NBA yeah. right now, he's a guy that would perform the highest level. I don't think Jason Tatum has the highest upside in the draft, but I think Jason Tatum right off the bat is going to be a 17, 20 point per game kind of guy. I think he's going to be like a mix between Danny Granger and Paul Pierce. Where does he fit um, in in Boston, though? Boston? Because you have Boston taking this well, pick, right? Well, I think right? Boston's biggest issue was that they don't really have you know secondary third scoring options on that team. Depending on what they do in the offseason, they might get Gordon Hayward, Blake Griffin, who have you. But getting a guy like Jason Tatum, who can play crunch time minutes in the fourth, who you don't have to sort of sit on the bench like Josh Jackson, develop over time like they did with Jalen Brown, whose skill set's very redundant with Jalen Brown. I just think Jason Tatum is the best option at three. He brings immediate scoring to the team. He fits into the offense, um, and he, he can play multiple positions. He can guard multiple positions. He just seems like the most readily available prospect in the draft, in my opinion. So like, I, I agree for every reason I have him going four, yeah. like I said before. that's Again, I think he's offensively, he's the 
best player probably in this trip next to Markel Fultz. I just like Josh Jackson and Devin Booker. Like just developing that sort of backcourt or just having those two guys in the long term. Regardless of what you do with Bledsoe, having those blue chip prospects and Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, but being able to build around a hyper-athletic, you know, uh, multiple guy who can guard multiple positions, sorry, mul- guy who can guard multiple positions is Josh Jackson. Also having that like number one scoring option in Devin Booker. It's such a great, you know, foundation to have when you're rebuilding your organization it's okay so i just because i guess we're talking a little bit different so put yourself i guess in my trade scenario Mm -hmm. so to speak if you're indiana now and you have that third pick are you still picking tatum over jackson well keeping in mind that you just gave away paul george so the way you framed it like if, if i'm if i'm taking marcus smart and jay crowder in that deal i'm taking jason tatum i still yeah but if if like let's say it's like jay crowder third pick and maybe like a future first or something. I I would take Josh Jackson. I think Josh Jackson has the higher upside, higher upside. Um, but I th- think if you're gonna trade Marcus Smart and you're gonna trade Jay Crowder and you're also gonna draft Josh Jackson and you also have a bunch of non-shooters on the Pacers like the guys I mentioned before, it just structurally makes no sense for them to draft Josh Jackson if they're gonna retain Marcus Smart. Because I'm high on Marcus Smart. I think Marcus Smart's a fantastic point guard. But I don't think Marcus Smart and Josh Jackson could coexist on the court as a starting five rotation. I think Jason Tatum on that team is a substantially better prospect in the short run. I mean, they're both such great players, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Tatum and Jackson. But I guess it's just upside versus kind of you know what you're going to get in terms of that. But like I said earlier, for me, it's just Josh Jackson simply for the reason that he is sort of like Paul George, especially if he can shoot a little bit better. But he's, he's to me, he looks almost very similar to him, the way he plays, the way he defends, especially. Right. He's such a long wing. So he's a type of player that could easily be, I can see down the road, being one of those max contract type of players. See, Kevin Connor from The Ringer uh, was mentioning this today, and that guy watches a ton of fucking tape on NCAA. And you know, even though Josh Jackson shot, like, what, 38% from the three-point line last year in college – He's, he was terrified of his long-term potential as a three-point shooter. He compared him to Sean Marion, which I thought was a very interesting hmm. comp. Um, keep in mind, Sean Marion was a fantastic basketball player, but he never really had a great dependable outside shot. And I see that in Josh Jackson. Maybe he could be like a good second, third, you know, high-motor defensive option on the team. But I, you know, if his shot doesn't improve, you know, he's going to have see, huge the limitations. Thing, the thing is, his shot looks good. Right, it, like there's like the actual the mechanics, like, the mechanics, the mechanics and everything. There, it actually yeah. looks good. It's just not going in. So Josh Jackson's one of those players, and that's why I guess that the potential is so high. That if this guy learns to shoot, mm. he'd be going first overall, right? Like if this guy was actually not shooting fifty percent from the free throw line, but actually shooting eighty percent and shooting something like forty five percent from three. I think that he'd be drafted first overall. Like if I was the Kings, like I'd consider doing like a like training like the five and like. You know, like a like a top ten lottery pick in like twenty eighteen or whatever. I'm not quite sure what draft picks they have right now, but moving up and get a guy like Josh Jackson. I think Josh Jackson just playing on the Sacramento Kings, just having having the ability to you know take off a few years. Also having shooters like Buddy Heal on the court as well. I don't know. I just I, I think Josh Jackson's best scenario would be in Sacramento. Was also he's a San Diego kid as well, being back home in California. I mean, the thing there is, I guess there is a slight. Do, do you think there's any chance that he falls to number five? Josh Jackson. Yeah. Just because of Fox, if no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't see a scenario. Because again, where you said Tatum. We all okay, so just to finish off the mock draft. Right. We both have Ball and going to the Lakers and Fultz going, um, going first like to the Seventy Six. So Phoenix. if you have Jason Tatum going third, right. Let's just say Fox goes to Phoenix. You think maybe there's a chance 
that Josh Jackson actually falls to five and Sacramento can get him with that pick? Absolutely. Absolutely. Phoenix could take Duran Fox. It just depends on how uh, bullish they are on Bledsoe. You know what I mean? Like, is Bledsoe going to be part of the long-term rebuild? They also have Tyler Eulis, who looked fantastic last year. The team doesn't have a small forward. TJ Warren is TJ Warren. He's a decent defensive player, but he's on a starting level five, or starting level three in the NBA. For me, um, you're building. But you're right. You're absolutely right. I could, I could see them taking a guy like Deron Fox. I can even see him taking a big, like Zach Collins or Laurie McCannon as well. Even I don't think Zach Dragon Collins Bender. is going that high. I know you love Zach Collins. but Zach Collins, like, I, I'm not huge on Zach Collins, but Zach Collins is one of those guys, like, high potential, high upside, play to limited minutes um, per 48 minutes per game numbers are off the goddamn charge. He's just one of those guys, in my opinion, who will move up in the draft tomorrow. No, he um, could. He's, he's only, I mean, shit, he's, like you said, his minutes were so low that his upside's pretty pretty high still, like his potential. So, so who, who knows? At number two, we don't really know. need to go into depth for this one. Lonzo Ball going to the LA Lakers. Number one, though, Marco Fultz, Philadelphia 76ers. I think this is one fucking fantastic trade. This is how you build a contending organization, and trust me, I do trust the process, man. Like, this is insane for them to be able to walk into a situation next season and having a guy like Ben Simmons, Marco Fultz, and Joel Embiid, and just how they fit into a system and how they both can feed off each other and now how their skill sets aren't, don't overlap or they're not redundant. You know, you have that primary ball handler, playmaker in Ben Simmons, and you have that off-ball guy in Marco Fultz who can also facilitate the offense a bit, and you have, like, one of the most dynamic dynamic bigs in the NBA, plus great guys, you know, secondary, third, fourth, fifth options, and like Dario Saric, you know, uh, Robert Covington, you know, this is a great bench, and high upside guys as well, like in, uh, like Nick Stauskas, I think you know, Nick Stauskas could potentially be a contributing member off the bench in the right situation as well. Yeah, and for me, and I, and this is the one thing I guess I slightly disagree with you on, but I think that Philadelphia looked at what the Cavaliers did this year and how they got to the finals and the, just the team structure and how it's built. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're going to look at Ben Simmons kind of like a LeBron James at the three, who probably might even be their primary ball handler. Um, and then Kyrie Irving sort of as that Markel Fultz sort of a well, player. Well, that's the best possible pick they could have grabbed in this draft, in my opinion. Like they Absolutely. Could, like, they could have waited. They could have traded down, maybe grabbed Malik mm-hmm. Monk. But, like, Markel Fultz is a dynamic basketball player. And look at the value that it ha- that a three has, like LeBron James, who can pass that well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I've been, I'm the kind of – I've been saying it the whole time that I, I want Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is the point guard and blah, 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 blah. But – just even, I think, the way that they look at it, especially Colangelo, that he sees Simmons as that sort of a player, and that player now is huge. A three that can really work around the pa- work the ball around, pass it around, and then Markel Fultz, who's going to be the primary scorer, most likely, kind of like an Irving, who comes in and can score in almost every single way. When you need that last-second basket, it's probably going to go to him, right. opposed to any other player. And then the wild card here is, is Embiid. So... If I were them, I mean, again, it's kind of it's so early in Philadelphia. If Greg were here right now, he'd be saying, oh, they... <laughs> they've been saying that they're, they're, they've been saying they're going to be good forever. If I were them, it's more like a wait and see approach. You got to still be cautious. You got to see how everything is. But if they are somewhat good, then fuck, I, I can see them even going for for some players at the trade deadline <laughs> and and trying to go for it. Some some shooters and stuff. Yeah, like if people were kind of connecting Kyle Lowry to Philadelphia. I think that rumor is out the window now. Like even getting a guy like T.J. McConnell, Nick Stosk is playing the two position, off guard position, what have you, and having Ben Simmons facilitate the offense and having so many great shooters on the perimeter, including Darius Sarge and Buell Embiid. It's just how you build an organization. Like Sam Hankey had fucking something going with that. Like the Golden State Warriors are the best of the best, the cream of the fucking crop in the NBA. 
NBA. And the only way to dethrone them is not making splashy free agent signings. It's drafting a great core like the Golden State Warriors did and signing that marquee free agent that's going to put them over the edge. And I think the Philadelphia 76ers are a few years away from contending for the championship. I don't well, think it's that I, too far-fetched for me to say that. I, I don't think it – and again, I think this, Philadelphia is like the new hot t- – this is like – this is kind of like the Clippers five, maybe seven years ago, right? Mm-hmm. When everybody, when they got Chris Paul, they got everybody, Blake Griffin, everybody was really good. They were beating the Warriors in the playoffs. They were going deep, just failing and never really actually getting there every single time. It's it's kind of like that new team. I hope that they're a team that just slowly slowly gets better as opposed to just makes a huge splash but never can really beat a, te- a team like Cleveland, who's put together so well, has veterans, and then it ends up discouraging so many of the players in the team that they end up disbanding when all the rookie contracts are done. Because yeah. I think this team, if they stick this core together with Embiid, and I, I knock on wood, I hope that he, he doesn't get injured and stays healthy as long as possible. But give me Embiid any day over Kevin Love. Right. And this team is really, really dangerous. Also, though, keep in mind, he's only played, like, what, 33 games in the last three seasons. Um, but he's also the kind of guy, like, if he does go out, they have enough scoring options on that organization to build around if, worst-case scenario, Joel Embiid doesn't play again. I'll tell you one thing. It's the one team that I'll probably be watching a lot next next year. They're my because, NBA League Pass Yeah, that, that will be my NBA. And one other note on that is, and I think it's pretty obvious, most people have noted it already, that this whole swap just helps the Raptors, right, yeah. with, with Lowry. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, and I've been saying this before, but I don't think – I said before that Lowry, I don't think his, his odds of signing in Toronto are that high – to me, it's starting to get higher and higher. Well, Greg and I are going to talk about this tomorrow a little bit in depth, but, you know, he's been practicing at the Raptors facility. He put out that tweet the other day saying that, like, I do want to play for Toronto. Those rumors are not true. The like, question every, is how much? Yeah, like, I'm not giving Kyle Lowry over $27 million per season. That's personally where I'm at right now with his skills, and I'm not giving him any, over five years as well. And who quickly do you have the, uh, the Raptors drafting? I'm... I'm with you in this. Like, I got the Raptors training down. I think Masai Ujiri, just the way his mind works, you know, drafting a guy like Bruno Caboclo. Like, I know the Yakapodal pick was, like, a sure thing. But, like, this lay in the draft. Like, the way I view this draft is that it's deep in the top ten, but it really falls off after the ten. Like, it's like the 1999 draft. Like, there's a few blue-chip guys out there. But realistically, like, I think after maybe ten or twelve – skill sets sort of similar on par. Like, I think the guy going 14 could be just as good as a guy going 44th. To me, I think it's a, maybe between 20 and 20. and 50. Because it'll all be sort of the same. So, to, so I guess for me, the Raptors, I think this is just based on what who they've been working out, the type of player I think they, they want on their team. Mm-hmm. But I think they're looking at two players, probably, in the draft. And if they don't get either one of these players, and they might look to trade down, like I was saying before, to try to get two second-round picks or a player or whoever it may be. Right. But the two players I think they're looking at are DJ Wilson and Tyler Lawton. Um, two players that can shoot, are big. Um, I mean, t- DJ Wilson's wingspan is 7'3". You want to hear something funny about Tyler Lawton? About when he went in the combine, apparently he had the highest body fat percentage out of any prospect in the draft. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Not so not the most athletic guy in the world, but no, like I, I know what you mean though. Like Luke Kennard is that prototypical four position guy, three point shot, maybe Tyler a lesser Lawton. maybe not as an athletic version of Patrick Patterson, but someone who could kind of fill that role off the bench, especially if we lose Patrick Patterson free agency. Well it looks like like to me, from an eye test, both players are NBA ready. 
And even in college, I mean, it's not the same thing, obviously, but offensive boards, they, they seem to be in the right position for everything. They're not afraid to get dirty. They have a little bit of, of flash and pizzazz, and I think if the Raptors were to draft someone like that, to me, the biggest need for the Raptors is a power forward. So and I know you're going to talk about this tomorrow gonna... a little bit, but if you don't have Patterson, if you don't sign Ibaka, then what are you going to do? Even if you re-sign Lowry back, you might need someone to slot into your starting five. And you let these one of these two players, plus Siakam and Pirtle and whoever else, all fight it out and see who's the best player. See, I like Laden, but like I think him DJ as Wilson like, as a second round pick, especially if like a guy like TJ Leaf's on the board. I think TJ Leaf is very similar. He's getting picked, I think. But I think TJ Leaf is a little bit better at essentially everything that you know he brings to the table. I I, I like that pick though. Um, and if not, then trade down, go back to the second round. There's to me, there's a ton of good players in the second round. I would. You know what? Harry Giles might even fa- fall well, to the second Harry round. Giles, like, about, like, Derek White might fall to the second round. Uh, I mean, Dwayne Bacon's probably going to be in the second round no matter what. Terrence Ferguson, who's basically Terrence Ross, will be there. Uh, Swanigan will be there. There's well, so like, many even options. Like, for even me. like Jordan Bell and like Kyle Kuzma, like two lengthy bigs who have high yeah. potential are guys that I think we should take a gamble on. You know, especially a guy like Bell. Like, Bell is such Jordan a Bell's necessary awesome. player in the NBA. Like, you look at a guy like Andre Roberson yeah. who can't shoot for shit, who's purely a lockdown perimeter player mm-hmm. being offered, potentially being offered $15, $20 million contracts. That's the value of a defensive first player in the NBA. So I do think we should trade down the second and just take specialists or take guys with high upside, high potential. It's funny because the one thing, and I, I was asking if we should do this when I was covering the 2011, I guess, NBA draft, yeah. if a team should trade down and try and pick up two, te- two players that were on the same college team, try to get Corey Joseph and Tristan Thompson mm-hmm. in the draft. I think it was Detroit or something had an opportunity to do so. But this year, if the Raptors were to trade back, let's say, and get that pick, let's just say they traded it to Orlando because Masai and Jeff, you know, are obviously talking mm-hmm. quite a bit still, um, and we got the 33rd and the 35th, would you look to draft Bell and Brooks? seeing as how they played on Oregon together, they have a history, or is that kind of just, it's not, it's not, even, it's not even a factor at all to you? I don't think it's really a factor. Um, I think familiarity is definitely a very important thing in the NBA, you know, like, especially like this basketball IQ, knowing where everyone's on the court at the same time. It's just, I don't think it's as necessary, especially in professional ranks. Like, keep in mind, these guys haven't been playing for like five, ten years. It's been like one year, two years together. I don't think that it's that you know necessary to have two guys in the same program. I think it'd be nice to have them, and I think those two Three players years, you mentioned. Juniors. I think the two players you mentioned are fantastic players to add to the Raptors. I just don't think it's necessary to have two guys in the same program. But uh, those are two guys I would draft if I was the Toronto Raptors. Awesome. All right, guys, that is it for the Toronto Basketball Matters podcast. We'll be joining you tomorrow. I'm doing a podcast while the NBA draft is going down. But with that, uh, this is Brandon Kajoka. That was Christian Graffin. Happy learning to ride a motorcycle. There we go. Graffin is getting his motorcycle license tomorrow. All right, guys, thank you very much. Have a fantastic evening. Peace.